0: Chapter One of the Browns at Mount Hermon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Browns at Mount Hermon by Pansy. Chapter One Mary Brown, Circleville. She held the open letter in her hand, regarding it with a bewildered yet whimsical look. It was unlike any letter that she had ever before read. She took up the envelope and gave it careful scrutiny. Mary Brown, Circleville, Union County, blank. That was all." "'It is my name, certainly,' she said aloud, though I am used to a middle letter at least and some sort of a prefix. Still how am I to know that some correspondent has not forgotten both? It matches, I am sure, with my present surroundings." She gave a swift, amused glance at the room as she spoke. A large bare room, with a dull ingrain carpet on the floor, whose too pronounced pattern was fading out in spots green paper shades at the windows pierced by innumerable tiny holes through which the sunshine filtered, revealing dust-filled corners that told of many slovenly sweepings. The bed was spread with a coarse coverlid that had become yellow with careless washings, and had been badly patched near the center. It was characteristic of the present occupant's instinct for observing small details which she would have been glad not to notice, that she knew the patch was laid on crooked and was frayed around its badly sewed edges. Taken together bed, carpet, curtains, and furniture, of which there were the fewest possible pieces, were unlike any that Mary Brown had ever before made use of. She had not even realized that there were such rooms. Yet she was evidently a guest of honor in one of the best rooms of the Circleville Hotel, which name, painted in unnecessarily large letters, swung conspicuously over the central door of this long low house that was sadly in need of paint. It was the only hotel in the village, and its accommodations such as they were had proved to be ample. No strangers save those compelled by circumstances stayed overnight in Circleville. Even its name was a misnomer. Why had the thought of Circle ever been suggested by its one long, straggling street? The entire village had the appearance of having been left behind in the world's march. If Mary Brown had not been too listless to do so she could have laughed over the strangeness of her being stranded in such a place as this. The circumstances connected with her coming had apparently been simple enough. Of course it had been quite unnecessary, as her guardian had taken pains to try to convince her. He had even laughed a little over her folly, and said there was no accounting for a woman's whims, and she had turned from him a trifle vexed and certain that she would go then, anyway. And she had gone, and come, a long journey which involved her being a guest for a few hours at least in the Circleville Hotel. It was now the morning of the second day after her arrival, and so far as the business that had seemed to bring her was concerned, Mary Brown was ready to start on her return trip but she was miserably conscious all the while that part of the business which had taken her from home was not yet settled, and she was by no means ready to return. This feeling had increased upon her all the while she was eating the very decent breakfast that the Circleville Hotel furnished, albeit she ate for the first time in her life with a plated fork, that had much of its plate washed away, and drank her coffee from a cup so thick that it called her curious attention to itself whenever she touched it. She had gone back to her room and begun in a desultory fashion to repack her bag all the while asking herself what possible excuse she could frame for remaining longer. And then had come that letter. "'I took the liberty of bringing it right over to you, ma'am,' the man from the freight depot had explained. "'I was there when Jim Baker was sorting the mail, and I told him I knew the one to whom that letter belonged, and I would bring it over.' She had thanked him, and had checked the temptation to give him a quarter for his trouble, under the feeling that he might be too manly for such return, and had broken the seal of her letter and begun to read before taking time to wonder what correspondent could have written to her direct in this faraway little village. And then the contents of the letter began to hold her astonished and absorbed attention, she being too much bewildered at first to grasp its meaning or realize her mistake. The letter began abruptly, without more ceremony than the envelope had shown, simply, Mary Brown, and proceeded at once to business. "'I have at last made up my mind to try you for the summer anyway.' It is a long way to come for just a summer, I know, but if you don't suit me for any longer than that there are plenty of places where you can try it again. I haven't any fault to find with what my niece says about you, but your inexperience makes it bad for me. Of course your mother's kitchen is very different from mine. Still, I'll venture it, you will certainly be better than nobody. Your uncle looking out for your ticket makes it safer for both of us. Of course I couldn't risk any money on an entire stranger. My daughter Aileen thinks I am very foolish to have a perfect stranger come so far. She says for one thing you will be so dreadfully lonesome without any of your mates that you can't stand it, but I tell her that a girl who is old enough to earn her living and to have need for doing it will have sense enough not to let homesickness hinder. There is no need for you to be especially lonesome either. The cook is Irish, to be sure, but she is a nice, respectable, good-natured girl, and there is no reason why you and she shouldn't get on together. Besides there will be others. The table-waiters are college girls, and of course you understand that that is different from working for wages, but you can make friends, no doubt, if you want to. Cook's name is Mary, too, but we call her Mary Ann, so that won't bother. I have said that I would never try American help again because they never know their place, but your letter sounds so sensible that I don't believe you will make any trouble and I must have somebody as soon as possible. You said you could start on the 10th and that would bring you here on the 12th. I hope nothing will hinder your being on hand at that time. I shall have to send to the station for you a mile away, and besides it is a bad beginning for a girl not to do as she said she would. If you are going to earn your living by working out you don't want to begin in any such way so i shall certainly expect you by the morning train on friday the twelfth i don't know that there is anything more need be said i told you all about wages and the kind of work in my other letter though as to that i need most of anything a handy girl who is willing to do whatever i tell her i do hope you will be one of that kind oh one thing more we live in tents out here mostly it is a summer encampment you know The dining-room girls have a large tent to themselves, and besides there not being room for any more they wouldn't care to have a stranger with them, but Mary has a nice little tent all to herself, and I may as well tell you at the outset that you will have to share it with her. She is just as neat as the rest of us, and you can have a cot to yourself, but I can't manage another tent this year. My daughter Aileen says you won't like that, but whether you do or not I thought I ought to tell you. I try to be honest and above board with everybody. There's no reason in life why you shouldn't be entirely comfortable with Mary. She has lived with me a long time and is thoroughly respectable. I guess you will find everything as comfortable as a body ought to expect. I'm sure I hope so, and I shall plan to have you met at the station. I guess that is all. Mrs. Harriet H. Roberts Mechanically Mary Brown, with the thought of the train in mind, looked at her watch. Then she laughed. It won't do to miss that train, she said aloud, if I am going to earn my living. What an extraordinary letter! The question is, where shall I find the Mary Brown to whom it belongs, and apologize to her for appropriating it? There is need for haste. It is— why today is the ninth. She must start to-morrow without fail. If Mrs. Roberts should send to the station and not find her I wonder what would happen. I must have a personal interview with her without delay and explain why I not only opened her letter but was so absorbed with its contents that I read it through without realizing that it did not belong to me. My original idea was that some lunatic had discovered me. Still, Mary Brown, I don't think this transaction speaks very well for either your honor or your common sense. If the time were not so short I would shirk the personal interview and leave explanations to that accommodating freight agent or someone else. Poor Mary Brown! I begin to be sorry for her again as I have been a thousand times before. I wonder if the girl is used to traveling. She is inexperienced. Is she also young? So this is the manner in which help is hired. I have often wondered just how I should set about it, supposing Mrs. Hopkins should ever leave me, which heaven forbid! There is no waste of ink on ceremony. It is simply Mary Brown and no more. It seems not to be the proper thing to address one's help as Miss. I wonder why not?" And I thought all business letters closed with a yours truly. This one just stops. Mary Brown, you must not waste another minute of precious time. You are to set out at once in search of Mrs. Roberts's help. The very least you can do under the circumstances is to see that she gets off on the morning through train, although I am afraid that will involve another night spent in Circleville. Never mind. Business is business, I am sure Mrs. Roberts would say. I wonder what sort of a girl Irish Mary is, and whether the other Mary will relish the situation. Is it to be supposed that Irish Mary is Mary Brown? No, that is not probable, or Mrs. Roberts would have mentioned it. It sometimes seems as though all the Marys in the world were either Brown or Smith." She had picked up the envelope and was studying the name. After the fashion of people who spend much time alone she continued to talk to herself, a discontented look on her face the while. "'What a hopeless commonplace it is! Mary Brown! Why couldn't the first name at least have had some character? It might have been Jemima, for instance, or Johanna—I rather like that. What if I had been named Bathsheba after my great-great-great-grandmother? That would have been distinctive at least, but just Mary Brown. There must be thousands of us in circulation. I wonder what kind of a scheme a Mary Brown party would be. I might fill the Euston Square house with them and make it look cheery for once. Probably some of the Mary Browns of the world are cheery. It is not at all likely that they are all orphans without sisters or brothers or even a choice cousin. Nothing in their own right but a fortune that all the frauds and freaks in the world are after, without the least care as to what becomes of her so that they get her money. One thought about this interesting epistle was that it was one of those dreadful chain-letters that must not be broken, and must have five copies made at once to send to five other victims, and I was in haste to get at its contents to destroy them. I have ceased to have even a semblance of a conscience about those chains. I like nothing better than to break them." She was busy unpacking her bag again and searching for things that would be needed for her changed plans. She was almost cheerful over the fact that there was work for her to do that was not without its element of personal interest, and that would involve a delay in her return home meantime she let her thoughts rove on in the whimsical direction they had already taken. I am not sure but that house-party for the Browns is an interesting idea. I might add the Johns to it. They must be fully as numerous as the Marys. Think of the John and Mary Browns of the country summoned to Euston Square for a social function. I wonder how one would set about such an affair. I might make it local and send personal invitations to all who appear in the directory. Wouldn't it call out a motley crowd?" She laughed over her own folly, though there was not much joy in the laughter. The simple fact was that Mary Thornton Brown, only daughter and sole heir of the late Everett Thornton Brown of Euston Square fame, was in a dreary and almost cynical mood a good deal of the time. Her laugh closed with a sigh so desolate that even a stranger would have pitied her. She was not sure that there was a more lonesome and homesick girl in all the world than her weary self. The task of finding the other Mary Brown was more complicated and involved more time than this one had deemed possible in so small a village. Jim Baker at the Corner Grocery, who also managed the post office in one corner of his establishment, was positive in his statements. There ain't no Mary Brown around here now, only you. That's your name, ain't it? John Jackson was here when I came to it, and he said right off that it belonged to you. There used to be a girl living out about two miles from here on the Valley Road, but they don't get their mail this way. They have it come through the other office, and her letters when she had any, and that wasn't often, I reckon. Had RFD on them for the rural delivery, you know, and this one didn't have it on. Besides, that Mary Brown ain't there any more. She's gone ten miles away to live, down on the Ferndale Road. The Mary Brown, to whom he continued to pour out this sort of information, looked thoughtfully at him without seeing him, too much absorbed with her own thoughts even to laugh, until afterwards, at the curious bit of advice with which he closed. So I reckon that you just better make up your mind that the letter's meant for you all right. That will be the easiest way out. Her response was to ask many questions about the valley road and the house two miles out where the other Mary Brown used to live. She had decided that she must seek her out, and learn whether or not the letter that she had unwittingly delayed was still important. End of chapter 1